right. Amen. Thank you, Sean and Emma. And uh, yeah. Always a pleasure to have you all around. And always fun, too, to see um, parent-child cohesion, co-working. I don't know. You all sounded great. It was great. Um, so welcome to Communitas Church. My name is Mike Gary, and uh, I'm the pastor here. And we are a church that exists to love God, to love people, and to build disciples through serving in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. So we have worshiped through gathering, just the very coming together um, and submitting ourselves to one another and to the Lord is in itself an act of worship. Worship is so much more than just what we do here together on Sunday to music. Music is a way of life. It's what we've been called to and created to do. Uh, And we've also worshiped through singing, through uh, proclaiming to God who he is, what he's done, and uh, how he continues to work in our life. And then uh, we're going to worship through listening to the proclamation of God's word. And before we do that, we're going to get into a time of communion. And so communion is the sacred meal celebrated by the Christian church, and it exists to kind of bring us together and to continually remind us of who we are and, and, and who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how as a result of that, uh, he extends us this invitation to walk with him in wholeness. And so this meal is, um, I know that we have people that are on all spectrums of the faith, and you're wondering, gosh, you know, what, what is this all about? And we're going to take a little time of reflection. Uh, you can use that time uh, to your advantage. And then also, so this is a meal that um, it's open to everyone. We celebrate what's called open communion here. Uh, and so parents, we will leave it up to your discretion as to whether or not your children partake of this meal. But this is a meal for those that... Uh, that, that are Christians, uh, that, w- that are, are um, you don't need to be a member of our church, but uh, we just ask that you be a, f- a believer and a follower in Jesus. And if, if that is you, then you are welcome to partake of this meal with us. And so we've, we've set the elements out to your left and to your right, and we're going to have a time of reflection. Uh, we're just going to take, take some time in silence, and you're looking around and you're going, man, there's a lot of little kids in here. Uh, there are, and they make noise, and that's okay. Um, we're going to have a time of, of silence, and if somebody makes some noise or shifts around, that's not going to dissuade us or, or distract from, from our time. Uh, and as we're sitting in silence, one thing that we just be pondering and be praying for is, you know, who is God? Who is Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit calling you to do? What's, what's the next right thing you know to do? And for some of us, that's gonna, you know, it's going to look different for each one of us. But for all of us, one thing we're praying for is how can we bind together as a community, as a, as a church body? And how are we going to serve in the world around us? Because it's more than just what we do here on Sunday, right? Like our, our mission is both to gather and to scatter, to, to, to come together as disciples and also to leave, to go and make disciples. And so as you're praying, you know, maybe be asking the Holy Spirit to, you know, or listen to... Who does the Holy Spirit have you saying to reach out to? In what ways can we begin to serve within our community and impact those around us and further bring that kingdom and articulate the love of God to a world that's so desperately looking for it? So we're going to take some time in silence and just be noticing the Father's heart that moves toward his children. Notice the way that Jesus loves and lives sacrificially. And in this time, just take a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit and who might 
it be from your, from your last week that maybe you need to apologize to? Or maybe someone's just really been sticking out to you. Who do you need to just strike, strike up a conversation with? What does the Lord need to be doing in your own heart and in, in our hearts corporately so that we can go out and fulfill that, that mission of ours to build disciples here in Brainerd Lakes and throughout the world through our ability to serve? And so we'll reflect Grab the elements as you are ready. Come on back and have a seat. I'll read some words from from Scripture, and we will all partake together. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together. We pray that uh, for those who were not able to make it in today, um, Lord, that your presence would be known to and by them. Jesus, we see the way that you lived a, a sacrificial life inconveniencing yourself for the other. And Holy Spirit, we need your guidance. Quiet our hearts. Quiet our minds. Reveal to us who is it that we are to serve. What's the next right thing we need to do to walk in obedience with you? How can we make an impact? How can we bind ourselves together? Lord, we pray for unity in this uniting meal as we join in your church and with your spirit and how you've been moving throughout the ages. As the disciples were eating this meal together, the last time that they were all together, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take, eat, and this is my body. And later in the meal, it came time to share the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness and the meal and the life into which you've called us. We know that it's not by anything that we have done or could do, but what you have done and what you continue to do in our lives and in this world by your Spirit. pray that we would be ambassadors for you and good stewards of all that you've given us. Amen. Okay, there's some buckets that will be coming around. Feel free to stick these cups in there. and We will dispose of them for you. Uh, We are in Matthew chapter 19, so we're going to have Mr. Seth Spiegel's going to come up and read to us today from from the scriptures. So feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, If you do not have a paper Bible with you, feel free to take out your mobile device and tap, swipe, voice command, whatever you need to do to to pull that up. If neither of those options are available or preferable to you, the words will be displayed on the screens behind us. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven and he laid his hands on them and went away. Thanks, Seth. Lord, thank you for your word. Pray that it would not fall on deaf ears and hard hearts, Lord, but that you continue to work in our lives. Amen. All right, kids. We got some that are jumping up and down. They're so excited. All right. Do you know what? It's about that time where we're going to go over and do that thing through that door. All right. Well, you can head on out that direction. Thanks for hanging out in here with us. Look forward to seeing you in a little bit. Lord, we thank you for these kids and for those who are taking the time out of the day to be with them, to help them to know you more. Lord, we pray that we would model this to you, uh, model what it is to follow you well so that they would grow in wholeness and in likeness to you. Amen. Okay, so uh, we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew. And, um, you know, so if, if you remember, so Matthew is a, uh, just as, as a way of reminder, uh, Matthew is a tax collector. Uh, he worked for, he was Jewish, but worked for the Roman government. So already we have kind of this conflict of interest, okay? And... Um, but one thing we can we kind of know about Matthew and we can see by the way that he, he lays out the way that he lays out his book is that he's pretty organized. He's pretty systematic. Have you spent time with people that are very good at numbers? You know, these are like accountants, engineers, uh, these these types of folks. I mean, there's there's just kind of a system about them, right? Like have you ever seen an accountant that was like really unorganized and just kind of was, eh, whatever. No, right? Like, generally pretty organized. So we, we see that in Matthew. Matthew kind of lays things out in a pretty systematic way. And so what we're going through right now is these, uh, what we went through last week, what we'll talk about today, and then over the next two weeks, is this kind of mini Sermon on the Mount. If you remember a few weeks back, we went through Matthew chapter 5, through seven, and that's what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of the, the ethics, if you will, of, of kind of Jesus' uh, message and uh, kind of this rearticulation of, of what the gospel is to kind of help bring it down and, and put it in, in tangible form for folks. 
And so this kind of mini part, chapters 18, 19, and 20, he kind of breaks this down, and he's going to talk about community first. That's what we talked about last week. What what does it look like to be in Christian community that's Christ-centered and cross-centered? And then today we're going to talk about marriage and family. And then next week we're going to talk about money. And then the week after that we're going to talk about work. And so he's going to go really big to a little bit smaller group, uh, you know, to money, just like really core the heart and then, and then get into work and identity. So he's going to go like large to small, right? And, um, and so one thing that we can, as we're, as we're going through Matthew and as you're going through Scripture, one thing to think about is why does Matthew record what he does? And why does he order it the way he does? Um, so why does he record what he records, and why does he record it in the way in which he records it? And it's especially interesting when, when we think about this from the perspective of Matthew and John, uh, because they're a part of what's going to their, their firsthand accounts. And so, just some things to be thinking about. And then as we kind of move from, from community to marriage and family to money to work. So last week we talked about how to do community. This week we're going to talk about how to do household. Next week we'll do how to do household part two, talking about money and then how to work. Um, as I was prepping for this, I was talking to other people because I, I acknowledge that so today we're going to talk a little about divorce. right? And that's, that's kind of a hot issue for the last while, but certainly something that's been culturally destructive uh, for quite some time. And... I don't know, I I would guess that most everyone in here has been affected by divorce in some way, whether you've gone through it personally, whether it's somebody within your family, whether it's a friend that you know. Um, And so I just want to acknowledge that there's a lot of pain that's associated with this, and I don't take this lightly. And as I, uh, and I really wanted to do this well, because I thought to myself, I said, I've never heard a very good sermon on divorce. I've heard things talk about marriage. I've, I've never heard one about divorce. And so I went and I talked to other pastors and talked to other folks. And uh, the general consensus was, yeah, it's tough. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, and so, but I want to acknowledge that all of our experiences in this are going to be very different. And so I don't mean to belittle them or to make light of them. And I want, to be, I want you all to, to be very aware that this isn't uh, an issue which is lost on me or something that I don't take personally and have, um, and have zero experience with this. Is, it, it, like we're all coming into this a little marred, right? And so the goal, what I want to do is, is talk not necessarily about what to think about divorce, but how to think about divorce. So we'll, we'll see that um, even when we get into it and, and with what Seth just read, we see that Jesus kind of talks a little bit more about, about how to think, whereas the Pharisees are th- talking about what to think. And just we're going to talk a little bit about how to, how to play those out. But uh, before we do that, I want to show you uh, my current favorite internet meme. So Eric, if you want to bring that up. Maybe it'll show up. Eric's on it, by the way, because he's an engineer and he's organized. It's the computer that we're waiting for. And it's just, just waiting. Just waiting. So uh, if you've seen the, the Lion King, there's this great scene where Mufasa and, uh, and Simba are sitting out and they look out over the vastness of the kingdom and, they, and, and Mufasa says, yeah, this is, everything is yours. And Simba asks about this, this shadowy place. And in the Lion King, he says, oh, you know, this is, you know, I, 
it's been a while since I've seen The Lion King, but something about, uh, you know, you must never go to that dark place. And so I love this where it says, Dad, what's that shadowy place over there? And then you get James Earl Jones saying, you know, that's the comment section. You must never go there. Uh, Thank you. And so I just, I just really like this because I think it speaks a lot to what we have going on today. And I, it, it, just, it just struck me because I think about all the different things and all where we're just, we can really kind of chirp in, this, in you know, a society that's just fraught with all sorts of different options, right? Like if there's only one option, like you only have that choice, right? Like, you know, in the early 1900s, if you're going to buy a Model T from, from Henry Ford, the only option was black. And so you didn't have to choose. And there was no, which one's, you know, mine isn't better because mine's, you know, fire engine red or, you know, this like bright yellow or whatever. It's, not, it's all black. It's just, we're all moving together. But now as we have all these different options, and all of a sudden there's all sorts of different debates about, you know, who's got the better football team and who's got, you know, the best traffic and who's got, you know, this thing and that thing. And then we get into, um, you know, We've talked about vehicles. We've talked about computer systems. We've talked about you know, the, the mountain bike team. It's really interesting when I watch the kids and they all talk about like who has the better bike and which one's you know, the best place in town, this and that, whatever else. And you're like, seriously? And I'd like to think that, that we would limit that to arbitrary things or things that don't really mean too much. Like, I really like sour cream old-fashioned donuts, and if somebody really likes, you know, a raised glaze, that we would be like, well, we can both agree that donuts are needed and it'd be great if someone opened a, a, a bakery in Brainerd, right? Like, there's, there's got to be some kind of consensus, right, or something that we can rally around. And I'd, I'd like to think that it would be limited to that, but unfortunately we see that it's also pretty pervasive within the church and within our faith. And I remember this in, in Bible college, right? Like, you know, you get a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds, like, which that's a really wise group. But like, I mean, we're growing. We're growing, but we're together. And, uh, and I remember just sitting there and, you know, we're thinking like, okay, we got it all together, which, I mean, we all think that, right? Like, it's when you're 20, you think that way. When you're 30, you think that way all the way up. I'm pretty sure until you're about 90, until you realize I'm never going to get it figured out, and you just move on. Um, but so there we are sitting together, and we're going through these arguments, and you know, you're kind of looking at these things, and, and everybody's got kind of got their hot-button issue, right? And all of a sudden, we start debating on this, this hot-button issue. And it's a good, like, debate is good, right? Like, it's okay to disagree, but as long as we disagree well. But then what happened is, is eventually you could just see it where like you'd, you'd kind of hit a nerve with someone. Their jaw would clench up and their hair would stand up and their face would change color. And we'd moved from, from disagreement to disunity. And we'd moved from, from being friends to being enemies. And we're, like, we see this throughout society, right? Where it's, it's not even, oh, we can just agree to disagree, but it, we move to this point of, oh, I disagree, and I disagree so much that I can't even tolerate being around you. We see, we'll see this in the, the next couple months moving into the first part of November. We're going to seek to polarize and move apart and drive wedges in between. Okay. Do you, so do you feel that like is, does that, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. Does anyone else feel that tension? Has anyone else experienced that tension or been a part of driving that wedge? And this is what is happening with the Pharisees, right? So th- they're, you know, 
much like I was thinking at the time, they're thinking that you know, spiritual maturation was ironing out everyone's theology. They're like, if I can just get right thinking, then we'll be okay. And, and so they did the part. They dressed the way they were supposed to dress. They read all the right stuff. They cited all the right people. And, and so they, and, but they've had this really, this, they've been struggling with, what do we do with this Jesus guy? And so they go, oh, I know. Let's let's talk to Jesus about divorce. And so what was going on at the time is there is there's two rabbinic sages, Shammai and Hillel. And one was kind of conservative, the other one was a little bit more liberal. One of them said that you could uh, divorce for any reason. Wife burns the toast, she's out. Literally, she, she screws up cooking the meal, grounds for divorce. The other one was far more, a little more conservative and said only in the most grievous of offenses. If, if, if there's you know, this grievous sin, then you can divorce. And so there was, these were the two camps in which people camped out. And so you, you, they'd have these conversations, and it was like, oh, you're in the Halal camp, you're in the Shammai camp. And so instead of saying, we're in the united camp of you know, following the one true God, they're starting to, to, to separate out. And so they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, uh, you know, where do you line up on divorce? Let's see if we can get them to go into one camp versus another. Uh, if you are a note taker, go ahead and write down harsh, hard-hearted, or, uh, yeah, we can go with those two words, hard-hearted or harsh. And it's, I don't know if you've ever, um, I used to teach uh, teenagers, and we talk about sex, and I don't know if you've ever talked to teenagers about sex, but usually what comes up is this question of how far is too far, okay? And it's not that that's a bad question, it's just the wrong question, right? And, and so, so, Jesus and the Pharisees are having this interaction and they say, is it lawful? And they're looking for how do we justify legal separation? You know, and it's theoretical. Like, be wary when, when you're having conversations with people and they're just talking about kind of theoretical, theological issues. So on one side you have the Pharisees who are, are totally unaware that this is talking about people's personal experiences, personal pain, and personal trauma. And then on the other side you've got Jesus who's well aware of the hurts and the pains. Because remember, uh, his dad was thinking about divorcing his mom, and he's unmarried. So all this is pretty personal to Jesus. And so he says, Have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father and hold fast to his wife, that they should become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And then the Pharisees press him. And they say, well, Moses said, so it's just, I'm going to go to my, well, I, you know, I can't get you to go to one or two camps, so I'm going to go to my, my favorite other guy. We're going we're to bring in my trump card. And they said, well, why then did, did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send them away? So I love kind of what's, what's going on here. So the Pharisees are like, well, uh, what about divorce? And Jesus says, what about one flesh? 
What do we do about separation? Jesus says, well, what do we do about unity? So they say, you know, what about what Moses said? And he says, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. So we've got Moses and we've got the beginning. So we've got some language that Matthew is using and saying, yeah, like there was some stuff that Moses said at Sinai, but that was because of the hardness of your hearts. Because you weren't following the ideal. And so Jesus is bringing us back to the beginning, bringing us back to the garden. And he's saying, yeah, I know that Moses said this, but, but remember the God of creation created it in such a way. Let's, let's shoot for that. Let's go to that ideal. Let's work toward that end because when unity is broken and when you have oneness of flesh that becomes fractured, there's pain and anguish there and it wasn't how it was meant to be. And so we have the... It's, and so, it's, so that's the, the first part of this passage that we're into today and we see that we've got these religious people that are kind of ironically trying to move away from Jesus, right? Like they're trying to separate what, what God is trying to join together. And then we move into the second half. And so I think this is where we get into the why does Jesus lay out, or why does Matthew lay out what he does the way that he does? And, and why do we look at things in the big picture once in a while? Um, so we've got hardness of heart is revealed in the first part here. And the second part, I want to just talk a little bit about compliance, and so we see that, that the disciples now, they don't argue, right? So Jesus says, and now, and they're unclear, and so they've got some questions, and that's okay, because sometimes it's confusing. And so the disciples, they, they're starting to realize, like, gosh, this, this whole thing is tough. Like, I thought that we just had an easy out, you know? Like, if our, if our marriages kind of fell apart, I thought we could just kind of duck out of this, but Jesus, it sounds like you're you're kind of calling us to work on some things. Like, what are we going to do here? And, uh, and like, it, would it be, maybe it'd be better just to, to not get married. And Jesus, and, and this is, and he kind of says, hey, look, some people have, have, have been born that way. Some people have chosen that way through trauma. And uh, some people have just made a choice. Um, but he kind of leaves it up to their discernment. And then we get into just a, a short but thundering part of Matthew's conversation here. In verse 13, it says, Then children were bought to him, that they might lay hands on him and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the children come to me and not hinder them. And so we've got this, this long commentary, and then we've got these these three short verses. And so in the tension of the, the previous conversation, we get the resolve. So I just want to point out a few things. So as we talked about, if you're a note-taker, compliance is what you could write down here, or obedience. And so it says the children were brought. Okay, so this means so children, you know, at one to 12 years of age, but they're brought there. So this implies they're not able to come on their own volition. And some of them are, are, will be literally carried there. And then the disciples rebuke them. Why? Why would the disciples rebuke the children? And then why, and then why does Matthew put that in there? Right? Like, 
if you're writing the story about how you and a, a couple of your friends followed Jesus around for a few years, might that be a detail that you'd want to leave out just for the sake of self-preservation? Wherever there's self-depreciation in the scriptures, take note of that. Because that's Matthew being honest. He's confessing. He's like, yeah, we totally try to keep the kids from Jesus. And that was a very poor idea. And so they're, they're brought to Jesus. Um, and, and so why is this such a big deal? Because Jesus is constantly using people that can bring nothing to him to bring everything to the world. To the people that, that have nothing to contribute to Jesus and his ministry, those are the people through which Jesus does great things. We can't add anything to the one who has created us, but the one who has created us will use us to further his kingdom. Okay, this is the great offense of the gospel. Like, so some of you may have seen uh, Frankie, my four-month-old. Right? Like, she has to be brought everywhere. Like, she can't go anywhere. We have to do everything for her. Right? But, but it's, it's through this childlike faith, this obedience, this humility, this ability to receive that we're formed and that we go out into the kingdom. And so why is, why is this, why are these th- three verses good news for the rest of the teaching about marriage and family and how we're to do this? Well, there's three things I want to look at. Uh, first, we talked about kids. So let's, let's think about the culture. So as I said, Matthew was a Roman, uh, worked for the Roman government. So a guy named, a guy named Tiberius would have been his ultimate boss, all the way on up to the top. Tiberius was given the throne by this guy named Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus went by Octavian. That was his name. That was the name that his parents gave him, Octavian. Does it sound like something? Does it sound like October to you? Or octopus? What is that? An eight, right? So literally his name was eight. How, how valuable do you think children were in a society where they just gave you a number? Like, Megan and I thought about what to name Frankie. They like in, in, this, in the culture that Matthew's a part of here, they just gave him a number, eight. Yeah, if you wander off, fall in a hole, that's cool. Number nine just moves on up, and we just keep the machine going. No big deal. How about women and marriage and divorce? So in, in the Jewish culture of the time, you needed to be, like, a man was to be married. That was what you were supposed to do. If you weren't, it was like, what's the deal? And women throughout antiquity were valued very lowly. And so to the, the child, to the single, whether by birth, traumatic experience, such as divorce or choice, and to women, Jesus says, uh, Jesus brings us this restoration. And so to, so to women, he says that you're valued. Notice that he says, male and female, you were created. And so he brings about this. You have been created in the image of God. You're on par with men because the, the, what they're citing is Deuteronomy 24. 
what Moses and the, the, the Pharisees are citing is, is this language where it talks about where a man could divorce and a man could do this and a man could do this. And Jesus says, yes, but let's not forget that we have all been created in the image of God with intrinsic value, worth, and dignity. And that must be upheld. And then to the, to the single that have been constantly put aside, he says, no, 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 no. You're a valued member. And even to the small child, it is in you that we see the kingdom. And you're more than just a number to us. And you're deserving of time, of touch, and of prayer. And when we do those things, as a family and as a community, we further the kingdom and bring about salvation to a lost, dead, and dying world. So this is good news. So Jesus is yearning for the compliant and the tender-hearted, not division. He's looking for us to become obedient, not merely to just come up with the best argument and cite the best source. And so we as a church have the opportunity to come together and to bring hope and to exemplify this to a world around us which seeks to live in the comment section, to go into the deep, deep dark hole and create division and work against unity. And so we have this opportunity then to reach out to those. And I, I know that there are people in here that are, are struggling in their relationships, not just in their marriage relationships, but even in their day-to-day relationships. And so I'd encourage you to man, just be with people. You don't have to be with a whole group of people. I know some people are like, one is enough. That's fine. Find one. If you're struggling with your marriage, don't go through it alone. There are people in this, look around this room and just find some people that'll, that can come alongside you and give you some help. And if you're in this room and you see people struggling, as we talked about last week, part of our obligation and our privilege as a church is to, to seek out those who are hurting and bring about redemption. Because none of us gets out, gets out of this unscathed, right? Like none of us are perfect. And so we have the opportunity and we speak from a a place of being redeemed. So let us be a people, let us be a church that exemplifies to the rest of the world what it is to, to follow Jesus and to bring this unity and to help people through this. And with our children, let's take time to be with them, to show them what what actual what kind touches, you know, the way Jesus embraces him. And he prays for him. And I know some of us are saying, gosh, how do I, what does it look like to you know, pray for kids? Maybe you don't have kids in the house. And there's, there's a bunch of kids, I don't know if you've seen, but they keep showing up here. And it's awesome, right? Like, it's great to have you all here and all of them over there. And so as we think about how do we, how to reach out to the world around us, man, let's start with raising our kids well and praying for them and praying for each other's kids, spending time with them. Wouldn't that be a little bit of a radical idea? And to the single, how can, we, how can we bring hope? How can we serve one another? Because it's not a second-class calling. It isn't a second-class existence. Jesus was single. John the Baptist was single. Jeremiah was single. 
We don't really see much evidence for Elijah having a wife. Those are four kind of big names in the faith, right? So what's it going to take for us to do that? And I, and I love that this is all set, this whole thing is all set within the context of community. So it's something that we have to play out here together. So we've got to work between us and the Holy Spirit for the Lord to continue to soften our heart and make us more compliant and obedient. But then it gets played out in community. We don't get to sit it out and say, well, I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, no, you just got to step in and it's going to be a hot mess, but that's okay because we're carriers of mercy. And as I think about this, I think about hardness and stubbornness, and I think about compliance. And it's kind of like a mule. If you've ever seen a mule, like they're, they're really stubborn, but man, when they're compliant, like it's great. If you get, if you get an animal that, that can take the bit and can do some things, like a compliant mule is a very useful piece of equipment. But a stubborn mule, ooh, man, they're, they're tough to be around. So what kind, of, what kind of heart do you have? Are you the, the heart of the stubborn mule, which is not useful for much? Or do we have the heart of the compliant mule, which takes the bit and goes to work? And as a church, are we going to have that spirit? Are we going to work with one another? Are we going to seek others out? that we might walk in wholeness and fullness and the richness of who God is into a world that is broken and hurting and has jacked up views on what marriage is, what single life is, and what family living is like. Let's not tout it over them, but exemplify it in a way that draws them in through prayer, through time proximity through touch that they would know of salvation within the kingdom of God pray with me Lord we thank you for our time together we know that it's a daunting task to to enter into marriage to enter into relationships to be in community what you've called us to is not a light ordeal. But Lord, we know that you've, you've shown yourself capable and by your spirit you will work with us that we would show your grandness and your glory to the world around us. And Lord, to those struggling in their, in their relationships, pray that we would be, you would soften our hearts, that we would work together there would be a people of healing. Help us to raise our children well. And as a community, help us to come together, not over which argument we favor or theological camp in which we reside. May we be united in you one flesh not separated by the contrite but drawn together by your spirit because of what you've done and for your glory amen we have been called to be a people together to walk in wholeness and grace
We serve a God who understands that we're going to fall, we're going to make mistakes. We've come together to serve that God. As we go out to serve that God, may we keep this in mind, move toward the brokenhearted, and carry a message of redemption and hope to a world that so desperately needs it. I'm going to fill these cards out front and back if you haven't done so already. Join us in the back for some caffeinated beverages and simple carbohydrates. Have a great week. Go in peace.